The exit interviews roll along here on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Today, we've got our final one, Tim. Can you believe it? We've gone through everyone that has a chance to return next season. We are on to Frank Anselm. What happened with his season? Was it a success? What happened down the stretch when he did see a lot of extended minutes? We're going to get into everything Frank Anselm. And is he going to come back? Is he going to be a part of this 2023 roster? We'll dive into all that and more coming up next. You are locked on Syracuse. Your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome in. This is the Locked On Syracuse Podcast. I'm Tyler Aki. He's Tim Leonard. You can find us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And we thank you for making us your first listen every single day, Monday through Friday, the only place to get daily SU pods. We're also on YouTube as well. So subscribe to the show on YouTube. And subscribe on Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We got it for you here on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. I wish we were getting ready for a Sweet 16 game right now because we kind of talked about this last week after the bracket came out and after the mayhem of the first couple of games. If Syracuse had gotten into this thing, it just feels like a year they would be blowing up brackets. They would be going off for some vintage offensive performances that who knows, maybe they lucked into facing a St. Peter's or something like that. And they take right. business there just feels like it would have been a, a lucky Syracuse year almost, but whatever we're, we're not, we're well, doing exit interviews. Something uh, with Jim Laranega. Miami's basically Syracuse. Yeah. Miami is basically, yeah. yeah, they they are like the Jim Laranega doppelganger thing with, right. with Jim Beheim, like, that, that is pretty much what we're seeing. Miami is living the Syracuse experience right now. And you love to see it because Jim Laranega is a great coach. But uh, you just wish it was Syracuse. You wish it was the real Jim Beheim, not the fake Jim Beheim doing this right now. But I digress. Let's get into this exit interview with Frank Anselm here. So the overall specs from Frank, not anything totally impressive. He played in 32 games this season, averaged 2.6 points, 3.8 rebounds. He played a little over 14 minutes a game, shot 62% from the floor. It, as a backup center, again, you're not asking for these guys to go out and get you eight and five or whatever, especially in the, the 14 minutes of play. But to be honest with Frank, there were the highs and there were the lows with him this year. You didn't get a whole lot of consistency out of him. You saw defense appear in flashes as well, but it was just – I don't want to say a confusing season for Frank because I don't think that's the right word, but you just right. never knew what you were getting game in and game out out of a Frank Anselm. Yeah, and I was trying to think, you know, we've done all these other players and I feel like it's a pretty easy answer when you ask the question of, was this season a success? Did this player exceed or did they underwhelm expectation-wise going back to what our talking points were and what our thought process was on each individual player in the preseason? And this is a tough one for me. I don't know if I would say Frank was a success. I don't know if I would necessarily say he underwhelmed. But I think we have to remember that in the preseason, Jesse hadn't quite made the leap yet. And there was talk about Frank and Jesse together, really both showing a lot of progress. And Jim mm -hmm. Beheim had very bullish quotes on Frank. He had very bullish quotes on Jesse as well. And then I remember right away in the exhibition games, you kind of tell that Jesse was a good bit ahead of Frank, not a yeah. huge bit, but I remember thinking enough the to discern who the starter was. Right. And 
you could have made a case that maybe it was going to be more of a bigger year for Frank before seeing the exhibition, before seeing how Jesse performed. So it doesn't really make sense to knock Frank. And when you look at his stats, the only reason why they might be a little bit lower than I anticipated in the preseason is because Jesse took a leap and that's not his fault. So that's why it's kind of a tough one for me to evaluate in terms of how did his season go? I look at it this way too. If these were Frank's freshman numbers or like just his overall body of work, eye test numbers, whatever you want to use here, would you be happy with it? And I think my answer would be yes, because let's not forget, this is a kid who reclassified and moved his way again last year. I'm not going to hold anything from last year against Frank Anselm. I'm talking about the, the sweet 16 year where he only played in four games, had some COVID issues and didn't really see the floor. That was a redshirt year for him. And this, to me, is more of a true freshman season. This was supposed to be his true freshman season, if you remember right. all the reclassification stuff. And I think his ability and his at least level of readiness seemed adequate enough for a freshman. And I think that's the way that you have to evaluate Frank Anselm's season is, is this okay for him as a freshman? I think the answer is yes. And again, it's nothing eye-popping. But you saw flashes of potential. You saw double-digit rebounding performances, especially once he was thrust into a starter role down the stretch. Now, did he keep his starter role? No, not really. And that's something that you kind of wish you would have seen towards the end of the season. That would have been a glimmer of hope for next year. But overall, if this is what I would have gotten out of freshman Frank Anselm, I would take it. And that's part of why I think you have to at least consider it a quasi-success more so than a quasi-failure. I would agree with that. That's a good point. It's also kind of easy to forget. He only played four games last year yeah. in that 2020 weird COVID year. He got COVID. He was clearly not really in a full sort of season prep and all that. It's basically like he's a redshirt freshman this year is what I'd say. I mean, he didn't really get any game action last year. And this year, the numbers aren't eye popping, but there were individual games that kind of prove that he's more than what the overall season numbers show because he played 36 minutes against Virginia Tech and once he got that first starting chance after Jesse went down against a good team he had 15 rebounds and that's where his stock really peaked right. and it, there was a legitimate case at that point you know whether it was Frank or Jesse out there whoever was at the center position would have been putting up numbers and Frank's maybe not that far off from Jesse now as we talk post ACC tournament where he did have another good game. He had 15 rebounds in 31 minutes against Florida State in the ACC tournament. I would say there's still a decent gap there, and it's very clear, in my opinion, Jesse's the starter. Frank is probably going to be in a 15- to 20-minute role next season. And that's where it's sort of interesting for me because he played 14.2 minutes per game this year. Some of that's inflated because he did get some starts late in the season when Jesse yeah. was hurt. But... If you're Frank, where's sort of the roadmap to continue to grow statistically when Jesse Edwards is probably going to continue to grow statistically and continue to be in the spot that he was in this year if he's healthy? Right. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of the like get in depth with some of the highs and lows of Frank's, including those games that you mentioned. But there are also a couple that maybe we aren't talking about that maybe weren't eye popping stat number wise, but still were good performances. And there was also some bad out of Frank, too. We'll dive into all of that in just a little bit. But 
hey, if you didn't take St. Peter's in your bracket and your bracket is now busted, well, there's still time to get in on Stat Hero. I've got a little bit of cash hanging around because of Stat Hero's Pick'em Contest, and if you haven't checked out the new platform, you're really missing out. Stat Hero's NCAA Single Game Pick'em pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage and start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. It's the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed, and the simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be, so sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. Just think of what you could have done. Even though you've had Kentucky winning your bracket, you could have taken an Oscar Sheboy prop. He was fantastic in that game mm-hmm. against St. Peter's at 30 and 16, and you would have won thanks to Oscar Sheboy. You're going with players as opposed to teams. So stathero.com slash locked on, promo code locked on, terms and conditions apply. It is that time of the year where usually I've given up on my New Year's resolutions. Not this year, though. I am sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating the Built Bars. Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, even the Puffs flavors, which are a fan favorite. The Puffs have some incredible flavor options. You got coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. Some that are so good. I, I might even have a built bar right after we get done with this podcast. Just going through the read right now, it gets me in the mood for a built bar. And it's something that I have usually once or twice a day. Most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. So you compare that to a candy bar, which they taste like. Candy bars usually have around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. These somehow taste like the candy bar, but are still good for you. It is the perfect match. You got to go to built.com. Use our promo code LOCKED15. That gets you 15% off your order. Again, that promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off over at built.com. So I've got the game log in front of me now for Frank Anselm, just looking through some of the individual performances. And I think that's more important when you're dissecting bench players is look at game logs, not necessarily the raw numbers, because it gives you a better glimpse of, okay, there's some games you're not going to play a lot of minutes. Like there are some games where Frank only played three or four minutes. And then there are other games where he really thrived and, and showed his worth out there on the floor. And part of that is, he got some quick hooks, too, defensively. If there were some defensive mishaps, Jim Beheim was going right back to Jesse Edwards. But it wasn't like there was an opportunity for Frank because like we've alluded to on Jesse's exit interview, there were foul issues there. And yeah, I think that was part of the reason why we saw as much Frank as we did this season. If Jesse was a guy who wasn't getting in foul trouble, he's a candidate to be playing 37, 38, even 40 minutes a night sometimes if there wasn't those that level of foul trouble. But inevitably with big men and inevitably in a zone defense, you're going to encounter a lot of foul issues with some of the bigs, and that's part of why we saw Frank come to the forefront here. I do think there is a level of trust between Jim Beheim and Frank Anselm, and here's why. We saw at times there were windows of opportunity for Barama Sadibe to play 
when he was supposedly healthy. And we didn't see Barama get the floor. We would see Frank come on. We would see Jesse get brought back in. And I know he talked about how there were times where he doesn't, he doesn't want to throw Barama out there for two minutes or whatever, but I don't think that necessarily would have hurt as much just to throw him out there for a couple of minutes. I think he would have preferred to go with a Frank or a Jesse, at least in the middle stretches of the season. And then you saw it at the end where Barama was simply just playing better basketball and yeah. got some of those starts down the stretch. But still, Frank had more minutes than Barama in all of those games down the stretch as well. It is worth noting, even in the games Barama started, Frank still outplayed him off the bench from a minutes perspective. So I do think there is a, a trust between Beheim and Anselm. And even you think back to last offseason when there were all the rumors flying is Frank out the door. It seemed like he was a foot and a half out the door at a certain point in the offseason when he's going on Instagram lives with pretty much everyone else that was entering the transfer portal. And by some miracle, he stayed. And I, I think that comes down to a trust level between him and the coaching staff. Yeah, I do think, though, that the reason why Barama didn't play as many minutes is just a health, probably. Uh, it is. Barama yeah. and, and his, but we've his... seen, too, Bayheim go to a, a smaller five with Jimmy, albeit against yeah. the grand wishes of the Syracuse fan base. But he did do that a number of times. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, is that a testament to Frank that he picked Frank over Jimmy Baham at the five when he talked about throughout the season that that would be a total last resort type of thing. And he still went to Jimmy a decent amount, maybe more than people anticipated. I, I hear what you're saying. I also don't know if Frank is necessarily in some really good spot with coach Bayheim right now. I think Jesse is, and I think Frank is in a clear cut backup spot. No Barama next yeah. year. We'll see how the rest of the roster shakes out. One thing, that is worth noting the freshman class probably has guys that can contribute right away in the backcourt. I think we can agree on that. Mm -hmm. Chris bunch Taylor, that's where the top talent is in this class, but the center position, I don't know if Peter Carey, even Malik Brown, who's more of a forward type of guy, but a bigger player. That's probably two guys that we'll see if they contribute right away. I think Brown has some, facets in his game that make him a little bit more ready to play right away but definitely carries more of a project so frank has a pretty clear-cut stranglehold on the center position now no brahma next year unless they add someone in the transfer portal you can make a case john bullajock could he slide back there play the five some i think we're in agreement frank's probably pretty clearly ahead of john bull especially because it seems that john bull is viewed as a forward going forward is is what they've settled on there so i think it's interesting where frank's at because when he made the decision to come back which he clearly was on the fence about he probably envisioned a better season statistically and was hoping for that but at the same time the reason why his numbers weren't as good as maybe we would have thought in the preseason like i said is jesse edwards so right that's why it's a tough one to try and evaluate okay what is frank thinking right now and he did get a fair shot and when he got the long run towards the end of the season he probably was like a c plus b minus so you can't really be too upset about how his minutes were handled and you, you say c plus b minus but it's it's the girardian C plus B minus like we never really saw a C plus we either saw A's I mean he had two games where he had 15 rebounds another where he had double digit rebounds 
And you saw games where he was a, a D or an F. Like, he, there were some real non-factored games out of him. I mean, th think back to the, the game against Duke, the final uh, regular season game against Duke. And he was awful in that game. He only played in 12 minutes, effectively got benched. And yeah. there was like a lot of questions about could he handle this? And it kind of rubbed off some of the shine of that early success that he had. And you thought that following up Virginia Tech with a good game, with a good matchup for himself against Boston College, a team that you thought he could handle pretty well, a team that's not nearly as good as Virginia Tech, you thought he'd be able to not get 15 rebounds, but you thought he'd maybe be in the neighborhood of eight after that and just show that he was still a presence on the boards and listen when he was rebounding the basketball well Syracuse was good I mean yeah. you look at the games where he had six or more rebounds they were five and two in that stretch and it wasn't all these non-con games I mean there was a Wake Forest in there there was Florida State which you're getting 15 rebounds against Florida State like that's a big team out there that sure. you're, and especially if you're getting him on the offensive end, he had nine offensive rebounds in that game. So there were individual moments. And I think maybe the most unheralded of the individual moments was the Indiana game where he kind of got thrust into the game because of some foul issues with Jesse and the fact that it went to double overtime and he's out there at the end of the game and he gets fouled and he has to go to the free throw line and shoot two free throws. And this is a kid who, wasn't a great free throw shooter. Big men usually aren't that great. He finished the season at 60%, but he goes out there and knocks down four big free throws for this team. I mean, his performance, he wasn't great in regulation, but he had the quick memory and was able to put together some meaningful minutes and some big minutes for this team in those overtime periods. And Jim Beheim said, we don't win this game without Frank Anselm hitting those free throws. And I think yeah, that, the nice thing something. is, I, I was going to say the nice thing is that he does provide some stuff or adds a little bit more in the rebounding column than Jesse does and is maybe not quite as good offensive uh, offensively, but you can make case a little bit better defensively at times than Jesse. So they kind of have a nice balance in terms of when you go to the bench, looking at the rebounding numbers, the encouraging thing is that when you look at his offensive rebound rate, defensive rebound rate on Ken Palm, it is better than Jesse Edwards, which is no surprise. He was a 16 point more physical defense. rebounder. For yeah. Sure. And look, Jesse, I think has to improve in the rebounding column. He had some decent games there, but he never came close to putting up 15 rebounds. Frank did that twice and basically six options because he started six games. I guess yeah. one of the games that he put up the 15, he didn't start. So you could say, I don't know, 10, 11 games. Whatever when he was the given amount. a real opportunity when he was, yeah, like when yeah. he was given real opportunity, right? He, he did it twice. He played 32 games. Jesse played 24. So eight games that Jesse wasn't out there, he put up 15 rebounds, which are two of the eight games that he was. Yeah. And, uh, and four the of the eight, he had at least eight, too. Right. And that's a lot more than Jesse can provide. The stats support that he's better. The other encouraging thing about him statistically, not a lot of guys on the Syracuse team were like this, but when he went up against tier a competition, which this is surprising because you brought up the Duke game and that was not a good game against tier a competition for him, but his numbers actually go up against tier a competition pretty much across the board and rebounding rate goes up. So it's almost like a mindset thing for him. Kind of like Jesse, we've talked about where he just needs to commit to being physical going for those rebounds, because that's encouraging to me that, it wasn't like he just got rebounds against Virginia Tech 
which he did, and that was it. He also did against Florida State. He also did it rebounding-wise pretty much for the minute sample size every time he was out there. And that shows me that when he's going up against good competition next year, if he has the right mindset, he will be a good rebounder. Even though it's a 2-3 zone, even though he's a young player, he could really be a factor there on the glass. So that's the big thing that he provides compared to Jesse, who still has probably a longer way to go in the rebounding column. You know what's funny about that is think about the moments where he should be he should have the blank scared out of him, right? Like mm-hmm. double OT going to the free throw line against Indiana, first start, first ACC tournament game. Those were three of his best performances of the season. And that kind of goes hand in hand with your tier A competition. Like when the moments yeah. were at the brightest and when the pressure was on most, he kind of delivered. And in fairness, too, like there there were a lot of games where there was not a lot of pressure on him and he didn't deliver. So I don't know if he's one of those guys who he needs that level of pressure on him for him to go out there and thrive the way that he can and has shown that he can. But I I just kind of, it kind of went hand in hand with you bringing up those numbers of him against tier a competition where you would have expected a lot of times for him to flounder in some of these moments. And he, he really didn't. And I think that's, yeah, Duke was the one Duke. Yeah. And again, if if you're one for four, like on not showing up in big moments like that, like you'll take that. Yeah. So. I mean, he did have a, just a bad stretch of games after Virginia tech where you could say mm-hmm. UNC, the pressure was on, didn't really play that great. Only played 18 minutes, but yeah, I think it was good that he had the ACC tournament sort of righted the ship with a strong game there to get 15 rebounds against Florida state and prove that he can do it against a team. That's not just a three blocks, nine points, four assists. Like he, he yeah, did everything. Game. In that game. Yeah. Right. And the whole team was clicking that day, but the one stat also that's kind of a negative and it's a negative for every Syracuse center. It feels like for the rest of time, but the fouls called per 45.7. So if he's going to play extended minutes and if you're, Frank Anselm, and we can get into this, if you're thinking about, all right, if I went somewhere else and I was a starter, I would say that if he was in a man-to-man defense, the foul calls would probably not be as high. But that was a question mark when he got got the starting job from Jesse Edwards. The foul trouble wasn't terrible, but when you're averaging 5.7 fouls per 40 minutes, if you're playing a starter 31, 32 minutes, that's a good chunk of time that you're in foul trouble in a game. Absolutely. All right, we will get into, will he be back? Won't he be back? Should he come back? All that stuff. What his role could look like, too, if he is part of this roster in just a little bit. But first, this episode of Locked on Syracuse is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer? Choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So save time and money One, when you use Rock Auto. Why spend 30 50 even 100 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every single customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution for all of your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, and be sure to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you again. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will will ever need rockauto.com 
So we're doing this again, the old song and dance with Frank Anthem. Will he be back? Won't he be back? I guess your gut, what is it telling you right now? If you had to make a decision today, will Frank Anselm be a part of the 22-23 Syracuse team? I guess I'll say yes, he'll be back because I haven't heard anything. And you would think that if it was known that he was going to make a decision, maybe we would have heard something by now or there would have been some sort of tea leave that was pointing You'd at least start of- to see some of the articles come out, like Frank Anselm mulling his decision yeah. at Syracuse. It's been very quiet. We're going to do a full breakdown of sort of transfer portal and recruiting tomorrow on the show. So I was looking into that a little bit today. It's been very quiet in yeah. terms of transfer portal on the Syracuse side of things. Transfer portal has been, as expected, pretty active, I would say, for a lot of the teams still being in the NCAA tournament and still being early. There's a good number of names. There's not a ton of stars, quote unquote, out there yet, and those will probably become more of a factor as more teams get knocked out of the NIT, the NCAA tournament, stuff like that. But on the Syracuse side of things, I mean, I haven't heard a single thing as of us recording right now, which we have to say that on any player on, you know, this guy's thinking of leaving, this guy's thinking of coming back. And last year, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it was a sweet 16 run, so it was deeper in, but in terms of when Syracuse's last game was played, it was like a week and we found out about Kadari and we found out about maybe not Quincy. I think he might've been a little bit later, but even guys like Braswell, John Bullajock entered the portal. There was a lot more news right away. I felt like last year. And I guess it's just, we're not really waiting on as many players this year, but I've been sort of surprised how quiet it has been on the Frank front and the Cole Swider front. So I'm looking right now, Kadari transferred on March 30th last season and i'll okay, try to pull so. up when when syracuse's final game but it would have that's probably less than a right week around. or yeah. so like uh, that may here, have been the monday after because i want to say it was pretty quick on kadari and even so yeah you're right it, so yeah. it, i think that's the tuesday so the the final game was the 27th against houston and then yeah. kadari's out by the 30th right and even i mean we kind of had known that kadari was thinking that way not that that was some sort of like scoop or something like it right. was sort of out there among Quincy. That was unexpected. Yeah. A little bit. Um, and we had heard like, okay, Jimmy Beheim's coming. That was the worst kept secret in central New York. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other guys. It just like Woody Noon leaving made sense. There's not Braswell. as many of those obvious ones. Braswell was, like he got playing you time. You see and, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think to some fans, Kadari was a total shock. But if you were following it closely, there were definitely some tea leaves there. And I'm just not really sensing a lot of chatter on the Frank front or on the Cole front, one way or the other. So I don't necessarily know what that means. But gut, I would say Frank comes back next year. What do you think? I, I would say he comes back probably 75 25. Is what I'm feeling yeah. right now. Like I feel pretty strongly that he will. Like I'm trying to think, and this is something that we talked about too when he was thrust into that starter role. It, it was, is he going to play his way out of Syracuse? As in, can he do that? And it sure looked like he might do that after that first game that sure. he had. Could he go out there and when given a starter's role, go out there and put together enough performances to say, hey, I can start somewhere else. Maybe it's not the power five, but could I go start in the AAC? Could I go start in the A-10 somewhere? And who knows? Maybe he can. 
And I'm sure there there's probably some people in his ear saying you put together enough good performances there down the stretch that it could draw the eye of one of those other teams and maybe even a, a lower level power five. Like, let's not forget when he was classified in that class of 21, he was a top 50, top 60 guy. There were teams yeah. like Kentucky that wanted him. So he was a, a sought after guy when he was being recruited. But I just don't think I think he he likes it in Syracuse. I think he kind of has a home. I think he likes his team. It felt like any time the camera w- was like keeled in on Syracuse or like social media team was keeled in on Syracuse. Frank just looked happy. He just looked like a guy who was excited to be winning some games too. And obviously Syracuse lost more games than they won, but like when they won, it didn't seem like anyone was happier about winning than Frank Anselm just from the, the camera lens that you could see. And I think that means something. Yeah. Well, the other thing to note here, you brought up how he did have some good attention. I mean, he had an offer from Kansas. I'm looking back through it now. That's a legit offer. Of course, Arizona, was up there, but some of these teams. So his final six was Arkansas, Kentucky, San Diego State, Seton Hall, Syracuse, Western Kentucky. Wasn't Seton LSU Hall, in that mix somewhere too? Yeah, LSU like yeah. was one I was going to bring up because he officially visited them. LSU has a different coach now. Seton Hall mm-hmm. is going to have a different coach now. Um, he officially visited Nebraska. That would feel unlikely, but who knows? I'm just trying to, if he were thinking, all right, where else could I go? Georgia offered him different coach. Now he unofficially visited Alabama, which same coach. They have a lot of transfer portal guys in and out right now. Unofficially visited Tennessee as well. Rick Barnes still there. So he was tied to a lot of sec schools. I I mean, that doesn't really mean much one way or the other, but if I was him, you would think if he's leaving Syracuse, it would probably be for a school that maybe is more in the San Diego State, Western Kentucky range, just because it's a playing time thing for him. Because, right. And even as I say that, he's going to get playing time at Syracuse, and he's probably going to progress a lot as a player next year. So that's why I'm leaning towards he comes back. But as much as you say he looks happy, there was a, definitely out there was definitely the fact that he was – potentially leaving last year so that's why i'm a little bit hesitant to go more than maybe 65 percent that he comes back yeah and you wonder how much changed in a year and maybe you know some of the unhappiness could have been man i'm tied up during with all these covid restrictions like that that's going to wear on a player too and that can sometimes lead to the unhappiness as well so there's that part of it too so I would glean more from what i saw this year as opposed to last year and i'm wondering how much all the COVID stuff played into kids wanting to transfer last year. And that's something that I don't think has really been explored as much that I, I'd be interested in, in knowing the the numbers of, of how many kids, maybe not even consciously, maybe subconsciously would, would say COVID has played a factor in them wanting to leave last year. But all right, that's going to do it for us here on this Frank Anselm exit interview. Looking ahead to tomorrow, like Tim mentioned, we're going to get into some recruiting stuff because A lot of coaches on the move, and guess what? There's a lot of high-profile players that have decommitted, and we have seen Syracuse seem pretty active in trying to add maybe one more player to this class. Also, a look at the transfer portal as well. 
what could be coming into Syracuse. That's what we're going to discuss on tomorrow's show. We thank you for watching. We thank you for listening. Find us wherever you get your podcast. That includes YouTube. And we thank you for making us your first listen every single day. We're going to talk about some imports tomorrow, some potential imports on the show tomorrow. And we'll see you guys then.